We're going to jump into Genesis 6 tonight. And I want to say this, as I've said every time I've taught. Uh, and we started off with angels. Tonight we're going to lay the foundation of where demons come from. And so we're going to get really deep into the Word. I mean, we're going to Genesis. We're going to Matthew. We're going to Job. We're going to go to the book of Jude. I mean, we probably have seven or eight places. So kind of stretch out those fingers tonight because we're going to dig into the Word. But I want to say this as a preface anytime that I teach on this subject. The Bible isn't just about demons and Satan. It's about Jesus. It's about God. It's about His redemptive plan. It's about His covenant. It's about His love letter to the people of God. So... As we study this, it's important to not major on minors, but I do believe it's important to study these subjects because one of the main things that we can do is know our enemy. And if you know your enemy, you can understand and have a better understanding of how to overcome what the enemy would try to do. Amen? So we talked about this and to really understand where demons come from. And we're going to, this is just a foundation tonight, just the foundation at least the next two weeks, maybe three, but probably the next two, we're going to delve a little bit deeper into this. But I've studied this deeply, researched a lot, and we're going to get into it. So look at Genesis 6, and we're going to jump into the first four verses and make some commentary and turn to some other parts of the Word. Genesis 6, verse 4. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, oh, Genesis uh, 6, verse 1, I'm sorry, four verses we're going to read, 1 through 4. When humans, human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. Note some of the versions say taken or took. They were heroes of old, men of renown. So look back this way. To me, this is probably one of the most interesting verses in the entire Bible. It's interesting because it's not completely understood. It's something you have to do a lot of research and digging into. So I want to lay the foundation tonight, taking from Genesis 6, and we're going to jump back in verse in chapter 5 and read. Because what we need to understand right from the get-go is this is laying out in Genesis 6. It's ending what the Hebrew word for genealogy or the descendants of Adam, or as the Hebrew word is called, toledah. So the toledah of Adam is being laid out here at the end or the beginning of Genesis 6. So flip over to Genesis 5 and we'll look at some of those scriptures right there. And it concludes in verse 8 of chapter 6, the toledah or the, the genealogy or the descendants of Adam. And it explains here why God had to destroy the world or the people on earth at that time in the flood. So it explains that, except for Noah and, of course, his family. And we'll see a couple of key words, we'll see a couple of key thoughts, and we'll carry these all the way through as a foundation tonight of what we're going to teach on next week. So let me break this down a little bit before you turn over to chapter 5 and we'll jump in there. But the first four verses of chapter 6 explains how and why people became so wicked during this time. They became so wicked during this time that God felt like he needed to literally destroy and start afresh and anew. And there's a key in here. So let me break this down for a minute. Here it is. It's talking about the intermingling of what the term we see in the Bible of the sons of God 
with the daughters of men. So what ended up happening, and here in the Bible, there's a word there called Nephilim. And the word Nephilim is literally talking about a race that was created through the intermingling of the sons of God. So we're going to answer the question tonight, what are they talking about, about took wives? What are they talking about when they refer to the sons of God? You have to answer those two key questions as a foundation before we jump into where demons originated, what their purpose is. Jesus talked a lot about the demonic and even gave us some, some understanding and some clues, so to speak, of where demons came from. So you begin to understand why God had to wipe out the earth when you begin to understand this passage in Genesis 6, 4 through, or 1 through 4. But you go back over here to chapter 5. Look at verse 21 of chapter 5. And the point I'm, I want to make by reading the Toledah or the genealogy of Adam is, number one, what was going on on the earth at this time that God decided that things were so wicked and evil that he needed to destroy the earth? Look at verse 21 of chapter 5. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. Now, who, who, who knows how old Adam lived to be? Who wants to venture a guess? Anybody? That's, well, you're close. You're very close. Listen, here's a breakdown of it. Uh, Adam lived to be 930 years old. How many people knew that tonight? Yeah? 930. I was texting with one of our young men in the church last week, and he, he did the homework. He was reading Genesis 5 and 6 last week, and he said, wow. I said, I know. It's unbelievable to think that Adam lived that long. Seth lived to 912. Enos lived to 807. Canaan lived to 910. Jared lived to 962. And, of course, here in, in chapter 5, verse 21, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now look back this way. What that's simply saying and telling us is there's two people in the Bible that we know from Scripture never died. And Enoch was one of them. Who's the other one? Somebody help me. Elijah was the other one. Now, there's a lot of scholars that would say that the two witnesses that we read about in the book of Revelation are more than likely, it's it's opinion, but more than likely are Enoch and Elijah. My thought, and through study of Scripture, is that it's Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus where? On the Mount of Transfiguration. And the reason that I believe it's Moses and Elijah is Moses is the one that brought God's covenant law, right? And Elijah, I believe, represents the prophets. So as they come back as witnesses in the book of Revelation to witness to the nation of Israel, it is the law and the prophets witnessing that the Messiah Jesus has come and he is the Messiah. Are you following along so far? That's just a little side note. But my grandparents used to talk about Methuselah. And as a as an unchurched young man, there, yeah, somebody you know that they were affiliated with through pastoring. My grandfather was a pastor. They, I'd hear my grandma say, "Boy, she's getting older in Methuselah," <laughs> and I'm like, "Who's Methuselah?" And I had no idea Methuselah lived 969 years. Lam- Lamech lived to 777. Noah was, of course, one of Lamech's sons. But my point is this. When you really realize how many kids that these people would have had, because right here at the beginning of Genesis 6, it tells us that the population of the earth exploded, or other translations talk about the population of the earth multiplied. 
So we have an average age of around 80. And we also, and again, I'm going to get into some of the PG-13 stuff, so just bear with me. Not normal for me, but we have to do it and delay the foundation. That's why I want to give a warning to any sensitive ears that are in the house tonight. But women usually go through the change of life, right, about 50 years old. But if you lived in 977, right, your change of life probably happened about 750. (laughs) Meaning that each of those people that are the Toledah or the genealogy of Adam would have had hundreds of kids. And those hundreds of kids would have had hundreds of kids. Do you realize, and you probably don't, I didn't until I was studying this, do you realize that most scholars agree that there were more than likely in this part of Genesis 6 that's talking about the explosion of population, that's talking about why God, it's the ending of the genealogy of Adam, and then it picks up, in the verses right after what we just read, it picks up the genealogy or the Toledah of Noah, who was Noah. So they're giving all these genealogies, but it's scholars would most, most would agree that there were more people alive on the earth at this time than what are alive on the earth today. Isn't that amazing? But think about it for a second. Somebody lived to 977 years old, and they still had the ability, according to the Bible, because it actually tells you when they started having kids, and they had more and more. So hundreds and hundreds of kids, a population explosion. My point in saying this is to lay a foundation for why we would see the sons of God, and we're going to answer that question of who they are, according to the Word of God. We're going to talk about that. But to also understand that they went to be with women because they were so beautiful, Right? They, were, they weren't just, it, it would probably be hard to understand, but if we think of it this way, God loves beauty. Everybody agree with that? If you don't agree with that, go down and watch the sunset right here in Citrus County. I mean, there, there are some of those sunsets that, I mean, I look at them and I'm just like, how does that, how does that color even exist? How, how could you paint something so beautiful? So God is a God of beauty. So it wouldn't be a stretch to say at all that when God created Adam and Eve, they were the most beautiful couple besides Leah and Jason Hanks on the face of the entire earth. I mean, they just would have been so... So the perfection of beauty from the creation, and then we see what? We see the fall. And by virtue of the fall, what God basically came and told Adam is, Adam, there is sin now present in the earth. I have to back up. And because I have to back up, you're going to have to sweat for your food. And there's a word in there when he refers to the ground will now give thorns and thistles. Thistle, in the Hebrew, actually has a connotation of mutations. My point in saying all this is to understand the beauty that is referred to. We think, oh, they were really beautiful women. This would have been close to the creation of Adam and Eve. This would have been genetically the... the, So in other words, the mutations are genetic things that happen. The further we get away from creation, are you tracking with me? You know, in other words, you don't have to think of this. You just have to look right here at me, (laughs) right? Our ears start to pop out. The teeth start to go crooked. Listen, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm giving you some foundation theologically of what God was looking at, what... 
the angels, the fallen angels, and we're going to get to that, we're looking at and understanding the people lived a lot longer. They had a lot more kids to the point where the population was exploding. But we see right here in Genesis 6, God's like, I, the Spirit of God will not always strive with man because this is what happened, and God made a decision to send the flood and to, and to bring Noah out of that. Look at verse 1 again of Genesis 6. If you're not there, turn the page. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. So you had a population explosion. Genesis 3, we see the curse happen. And this is where it's going to get a little PG-13, so I just want to warn you. And it says this, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were fair, beautiful, fair, close to perfection, incredibly beautiful, and they took them as wives of all which they chose. So they were near perfect. And here's the part I want to highlight. And were these sons of God, and what does it mean to take the wives? So who are the sons of God, and what does it mean to take? Everybody say took. It says they took wives. And it's the, one of the most important elements of those scriptures that when it comes to understanding the origination of the demonic and demons. Now this sounds like they had got married and they had kids and they all lived in a household and they lived happily ever after. But I want to point a few things out. The word wives is translated from a Hebrew word called Isha. And the reason that that's important is anytime you see that word... It's not talking about necessarily wives. That word is just referring to the Hebrew word for woman. Okay? And better translation, maybe not wives. It says they took women. And Now the word took is a very common verb. But when it's used in the same sentence as a woman, it has a sexual connotation to it. Okay? Let me give you a scripture for that. Genesis 34 verse 2. You don't have to turn there. But that's the story of Shechem and Dinah. The story of Shechem and Dinah in Genesis 34 verse 2 says Shechem took Dinah. And it's a euphemism. Everybody say euphemism. If you don't understand what a euphemism is, you won't understand what the Bible is kind of alluding to when it says the sons of God took wives. Because it's not just saying that they married and lived happily ever after. It's giving a connotation that they had sexual relations with the beautiful women of Adam and Eve and the people who were on the face of the earth at that time. Now, we use euphemism all all the time, right? Because it sounds better. When we talk about sexual relations with somebody, we say, well, they slept together, right? It's just more polite. Or we say, well, dad passed on, right? It just sounds better. So this is a euphemism right here when it says the sons of God took wives. When you dig in and study this and understand it, It really truly means, in other places it says, Adam knew Eve, right? Well, what did he mean by it? What's the Bible talking about? He knew Eve. Is everybody following me? He knew her. And uh, that's what the word took in this scripture, this passage right here, means. So what this is saying is the sons of God saw that women were very beautiful and they had relations with them. Is everybody tracking so far? It doesn't mean that they took them as wives. That's my point. We read that and we think, okay, and listen, I'm going to give you the three theories that are out there of what different scholars interpret these verses to mean. And 
It's interesting because did Jesus say this? Did Jesus say that in the last days it will be like the days of Noah? Listen, I think there's far more to that than what we just read on the surface. And the reason I say that is because if you take this as a euphemism that the sons of God took wives and had had relations with them, okay? It literally means that people were getting married or or having sexual relations without getting married. Come on, somebody. As in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So, this is the key. the bottom line is these sons of God took women and they had relations with them. Now, the key to this whole passage is who are the sons of God? This is the foundation for where I'm going to go and teach of where the demonic originates from. Are you tracking with me? Now, the key to this whole passage is knowing who the sons of God are. So, who is it referring to when it says the sons of God? Well, I don't want to give you my opinion tonight. Amen? Because our opinions don't matter. What matters is the Word of God. Right? But let me give you the three prevailing theories on what most scholars think. And number one is this. They're fallen angels. So angels that followed Satan at the rebellion and the rebellion against God. Lucifer is kicked out of heaven with a third of his angels. So fallen angels had relations with mortal women, creating a super race of people called the Nephilim. The second theory that you'll find is another theory is that it's referring to royalty of the day. So the royalty of the day, the kings and the ones in charge and the ones in places of leadership and positions of leadership, took the beautiful women and basically created harems out of them or polygamy, right? The third one is this, that they were the descendants of Seth. Seth represents the godly line, and Cain represents the ungodly line. So the godly descendants of Seth married the ungodly descendants of Cain, and that was their sin that God was going to do away with. Now, what are we going to teach tonight, and what have I discovered in studying this and delving into it? And you may ask a question. I ask this question. When you begin to delve into these things, you begin to look and see that there are different theories on this particular passage. Because as I said before, this particular passage is one of the the most astounding passages to me in all the Bible. Because it answers a lot of questions. It answers a lot of questions for everyday life, believe it or not, of where these things originated from. So when you begin to understand that, everybody say hermeneutics. Let me teach you just for three minutes. Hermeneutics is a class that you'll go through either in Bible school or a class you'll go through in seminary. And hermeneutics is the science and the art of interpreting Scripture. I say science because it has a set rules that you go by that you use as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those rules are what you apply to a passage of Scripture so that you can come to the correct interpretation and make sure you don't take it out of context. The reason I don't just say the science of interpreting Scripture is because the art part of it is knowing which rules to apply when you are studying the Word of God. Is everybody tracking with me so far? It'd be like this. Some people are really good at it, and some people are really poor at it. (laughs) Right? They are. Just in the same way that there's some really good doctors out there and there's some really not so good doctors out there. 
There's some really good mechanics that you could take your vehicle to, and there's some really poor mechanics you could take your vehicle to. There's some really good nurses out there, whatever profession that you find. It's the art of applying the, the correct hermeneutical law and rule when you're interpreting Scripture. Let me tell you the law and rule that I followed when I'm interpreting the Scripture that I'm teaching you tonight. It's this. Number one, Scripture always interprets Scripture. Okay? Scripture always interprets Scripture. So when you come to these type of passages... And there are different theories out there, and there are different ways of interpreting that scripture. And interestingly enough, this is what I discovered, and we're going to talk about this in depth next week. What I discovered is what I'm teaching you tonight by way of the, the, the origination of, the, of demons. What I found was the church held this doctrine very closely and very openly for four centuries, all the way up to the fourth century, when there was a certain theologian that we'll talk about next week that came along, and he said, you know what, that just sounds way too crazy. That just sounds way too off. I am going to come up, and he's the one that came up with the line of Seth and the line of Cain, and we'll delve into that a little bit more next week. But when you look at this passage, you want to say, if we're going to discover and find out who the sons of God are, Where can you find where it talks about the sons of God? Well, if you have a Bible app or an application that you use on your computer in order to study the Bible, that's great. But if you really want to dig in and learn these things, buy you a good old-fashioned King James Bible. Amen. Amen? The reason I say that is because if you're going to use a concordance, and you should, you're going to be able to use the King James, and the King James beautifully, and I'm not against, I preach out of the NIV, I memorize New King James. I'm not talking about Bible translations tonight, but the King James literally is more of a direct word-for-word translation. Are you tracking with me? It's a more of a direct translation than it is an interpretation. When you pick up your NIV, which I preach out of quite often, you're getting more of a translation. Or if you go to the message or you go to the New Living Translation, it's telling you right there. They're translating these things. So when you come to these scriptures, we need to look and see where we're going to find the context and where we're going to find the answer and to let interpret scripture, interpret scripture. So we break out the trusty concordance, and here's what I found. The sons of God is mentioned five times in the Old Testament. Five times. It's only used five times. It's used here in Genesis 6, verse 2. Three times in the book of Job. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Job. We're going there next. It's once in the book of Daniel. So there's five times. Listen, in every time that this is used, it's referring to angels. Are you in Job 2? Job 2. That's in the Old Testament. I'm just messing with you all. I'm just kidding. Job is actually one of the oldest books in the Bible. And you've got to get your genre right. Job is poetry. It helps you interpret it. Of course, historical narrative mixed with poetry. If you're there, say amen. amen. Job 2, verse 1. And a lot of these are King James, so just be patient with me. It doesn't flow off my tongue like some, of, some people it probably does. 
Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Now here's the NIV version. Notice the difference. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them to present himself before him. Why did Satan come? Because he's an angel. And sons of God here is clearly referring to angels. Amen? Job 38. Just turn a few chapters over. This is the next place that this is found. We're not going to go into all of them, but the others are found in Daniel, of course, in Genesis and Job five times. It's referring to the sons of God. That's where I'm going to hit you with the the king's English. All right? Y'all ready? All right. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who has stretched out the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who had laid the cornerstone thereof? God's talking about the literal founding and the creation of the world. And then he, in verse 7, look at this. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So this passage is talking about the beginning of creation when God laid the foundations of the earth. And it says, all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, if you go to an NIV and maybe you're reading out of that, it translates it as angels. So every time this phrase was used in the Old Testament, it was always translated angels. The other place in Job it's found, and it's found in the book of Daniel too, so it's found one more time, and for the sake of time, we won't go there. I'm just laying a little foundation when we're going to answer the question, who are the sons of God? We allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. Amen? What about the New Testament? Luke 3, turn over there. Let me show you something interesting. In Luke 3 is the end of Jesus' genealogy. Luke 3, verse 38. Luke 3? Oh, gotcha. Man, you guys got people taking verses out of your Bible. We need to talk to you afterwards, sister, and pray with you right there. Who's got a 38 in Luke 3? Okay, here it is. Which, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. That's interesting, isn't it? My question is, why was Adam considered the son of God? Because it starts in the genealogy with, of course, Joseph, who was Jesus' stepfather, obviously. But it starts with that, and it ends down here with Adam as the son of God. So the sons of God, here's why. Because Adam wasn't born. Adam was created. Are you following me? He wasn't begot. I am a product of James Hanks and Carol Christine Mead. Hanks, her maiden name. I am a product of the two. Are you following me? He ends with this saying he is the son. My point is simple, but it's also a foundation of what we're talking about. When it goes back and talks about the son of God, he's talking about someone who is created by the hand of God, not begotten. Right? 
So when he's talking in the Old Testament about the sons of God, he's talking about, we've already talked about this a few weeks ago, a created order of angelic beings that were not begotten or birthed. They were created by God. Are you tracking with me? Okay. Now let me show you something else interesting. Look in, turn over to John verse, or chapter 1. John chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's right. Just turn that, that way. Verse 12. But as, you have a verse 12, right? I'm joking with you. <laughs> watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Okay? Adam, the son of God, created by God. Angels, Genesis 6, sons of God. Created by God. Are you tracking with me? So if you want to take the theory that they're just a line of Seth and Cain, I I delete that one. Listen to this. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his names. Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. We are born. We aren't created. So how can we be called sons of God? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's the literary word pitosis. A new creation. When we receive Jesus, God creates a new spirit in us. So we aren't begotten in a human way, in a human form. We are begotten by God Himself through the miracle of new birth. Isn't that awesome? God creates a new spirit within us so that we can legitimately, and this is all throughout the New Testament, you can read it, we can legitimately be called sons of God because it's God that did the creating. In the Old Testament, you're not going to find this or find that principle of sons of God because people, what, were not recreated and born again before Jesus. Is everybody tracking with me? It's the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. They weren't born again. So in Genesis 6, it is referring to fallen angels having intimate relations, because I don't want to keep saying that word 12 more times tonight. Everybody's tracking with me. Intimate relations with women who they found beautiful. They were not begotten by man. This was a created order by God. And next week we're going to talk about God steps back and says, this cannot go on. This cannot stand. God, here at the end of the genealogy of Adam, is saying that the Spirit of God is not always going to strive with man. And he decided at that time, because there was this mixing together of the, of the sons of God and the women of man, creating a super race called the Nephilim. And this is right here in your Bible. Mark 12, verse 25. It says, for when the dead rise. I've got good news for you tonight, amen. You're going to rise again. I just had to stop there and tell you that. Because the next part of the verse is what I really want to talk about. But for the, when, the, when the dead rise. Do you understand that your, death is not resurrection? Does everybody understand that? When you die, it says that if you're in Christ and you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, you are going to go on. You will have senses. You will have an ability. My point in laying all this out 
is if this is what happened, we have to wrap our minds around how could fallen angels enter into our world and actually literally have intimate relationship with women. Because, again, you're sitting there looking at me like a calf at a new gate. Like, well, come on, really? It says when we rise, listen, when we rise, and this is beautiful, you get your resurrected body when Jesus at the rapture. In other words, your physical body at the rapture, why? So that you can now, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, now you can operate in two realms. You are a spirit being that will live for eternity that is given a glorified body because of the resurrection of your elder brother Jesus. And you're going to be given that, but let's continue on here. That's found in Mark 12, verse 25, but it keeps on going. It says, and it's talking about angels here. Here's what it says. They will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. He's talking about the resurrection. He's referring to that. But he drops a little hint of how the angelic order is laid out. And the angelic order is laid out in that they are not either married or given in marriage. Angels were never created to have intimate relationships with human women. Never were. We know this. A third rebelled with Lucifer. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Third rebelled, got kicked out of heaven. Jesus talked about that. And because it's abundantly clear to me of this, the sons of God, referred to in the Old Testament, are fallen angels. You want to know two books in the New Testament that refer to this? All right. Go to Jude. I'd give you the chapter, but. There's only one of them. Jude verse 6. It is a little hard to find because it is a very small book. I'm going to read you two translations because the New Living Translation. Okay, everybody look back this way. Let me recap. Genesis 6, the genealogy of Adam. It comes down to this place where it says, and the population was exploding. The sons of God saw that the women of men were beautiful and they took them. Taken is a euphemism for relations with these women. And it created a race, a super race. I'm laying the foundation for next week. Look at Jude 1, verse 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. Now let me read that in the New Living Translation, because it brings something out that I'm a point I'm trying to make. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. Think of that. We talked a few weeks ago about understanding what the dimension of the Spirit is. And it's a dimension that we can go through Scripture and find where angels enter into this side. Okay? Are you tracking with me? 
Think about that for a second. Let me read that again. I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. In other words, God created angels. God created them, gave them you know, their authority and their assignment and what God created them to do. And they rebelled and stepped out of their place, not only of authority, but the place where they belonged and did what? It says, God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. Turn to Second Peter. Half of you gave up turning. I see, I hear it, I hear it. Second Peter chapter 2. These are two places that talk about this very subject we're talking about tonight. And I mentioned a few weeks ago about the book of Enoch. And what I told you is it's not canonized, it's not part of the canon of the Bible. And uh, you have to be a very mature Christian. So I don't suggest you even delve off into that. Half of you are going to go home and Google it. So, But I'll tell you something interesting. Jude quotes Enoch. In the first four centuries of the, of the early church, this was very, very widely circulated in the church. 2 Peter 2, verses 4 through 5. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world. Now stop there and look this way. This is a Genesis 6 reference. He's not talking about the old world when Satan rebelled and Satan fell. That's not what this is referring to. He's talking about the world pre Flood. Okay? How do we know that? Here's how. But save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So I want you to notice that time period that he's laying out there. It's pre-flood. It's not all the way back to the rebellion, but the time before the flood. And it's referring to these angels that left their own habitation, which is the spiritual realm, the spiritual world, the spiritual dimension. And they had intimate relations with the daughters of men. So here's my question. I'm like, how could fallen angels have done this? How, how could we get there? How... how how does this happen? Well, the answer is found in other passages. Here's what I want to teach you, and I taught you a few weeks ago, but I don't think I said this. Angels are not androgynous. There's teaching out there that angels are androgynous and they are neutral, neuter, right? The word in the Greek that's translated angels is actually translated angelos. And that is a male understanding of angels. So when you hear teaching and say, well, angels are just neither here nor there, my point is this. When you ask the question why, and I'm going to give you the scriptures here in just a minute. When you ask the question of how in the world something like this could happen, as I talked a few weeks ago in the scriptures that I laid out for you then, and this is all built where we're leading to. When I talked about those scriptures, we can see where angels were allowed by God to enter in from their realm and their dimension into our three-dimensional dimension, right? Okay, give me an example for that. Joshua was about to enter the promised land. And what does he see in front of him? He sees, he didn't know it was an angel though. He didn't. He just saw a mighty warrior standing there like, and he was such a mighty warrior looking 
and of course, this is a theophany. We can get into that some other time. But he asked a great question. Are you for us or are you against us? He didn't know. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, what does it tell us? Entertain strangers because you perhaps may be entertaining angels unaware. So when you read this and see this throughout Scripture, look at, look, turn back to Genesis 19. We'll finish up here. Genesis 19. We have Hebrews. Talks about entertaining angels unaware. We have talking about, my point is, is that when we say, how could this ever happen? If in the spirit realm, when we're raised again to new life, and when we go be with the Lord, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You will have your senses. You will be able to hear. You will be able to touch in a spiritual way and realm. It's not until we are resurrected do we receive our resurrected body. Are you tracking with me? But God, in his angelic order, because he wanted angels to be his messengers, to be the ones who intervened, who stepped onto the stage of history and time in different places and different ways, you could be seeing an angel and not even be aware of it. So your mind doesn't have to be blown tonight of thinking back in this day of how fallen angels could have entered into the picture and took wives for themselves and began to procreate with them, thus causing a race of people the Bible talks about very plainly in Genesis 6 of the Nephilim. And we're going to talk about that more the next week. Genesis 19, verse 1 through 5. And there came two angels to Sodom at evening. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your way. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto the Lord and said unto him, Where are the men? Which came to thee this night, bring them out unto us. So, what does it start off saying? Two angels came to Sodom. What does it end? Everybody that saw them said, Two men came to the house tonight. So, what did people see? They saw two men. Again, Joshua seeing the angel of the Lord, and other places where angels, my point is, angels are. Created as male. It's clear in the Bible if you read the, the Greek. I believe it's, if, it was, if it was either neutral or anything else, it would be angelon instead of angelos. In my very, very small understanding of Greek. But it's very clear as you see the, the word even angel translated that it's not neutral, it's not androgynous. It is actually male. So if it's male, then when you go back to Genesis 6 and you have to wrap your mind around... How could this even happen? How could they appear? How could they take women and do this? And again, our foundation heading into next week is when it refers to the sons of God, it's referring to fallen angels. When it's referring to fallen angels taking women, it's referring the word took literally as a euphemism for they came and they took these women and they laid with these women. They were beautiful. The population of the earth, we're going to explain that. 
we oftentimes say, man, you know, there's 8 billion people, and if this is the origination of demons, how in the world could there be that many to torment this many people on earth? We're going to answer those questions over these next two weeks. But that explains verses 1 through 4. We understand, listen to me, we understand through this story of how the world became so wicked. We're very close to the creation of Adam and Eve. We're very close to an understanding and very close knowledge of who God was because you're talking about Adam and Eve that walked with God in the cool of the day. Are you tracking with me? But yet we jump into Genesis 6 and it's like God's like, this cannot continue on. This cannot happen. And it gives us an understanding. Now, off, next week, we're going to talk about the offspring, offspring, the Nephilim. And we went into the book of Jude. And, and understanding the book of Jude does quote the book of Enoch, I'm not going to necessarily do that. But the book of Enoch references what is called the Watchers. So next week, we're going to talk about um, the Nephilim, the origination. But this is the foundation for where demons came from as we're studying tonight. Um, and I mentioned this uh, before, but uh, for four centuries, and I'll talk about the theologian that came up with the, the interpretation, the hermeneutics interpretation of the Seth and the Cain line. And then the other one is pretty not very common, but it's the one that says that, well, this was royalty that took these women and wives. I think Scripture interprets Scripture in this instance that we could go to other places in the Bible and we can look and say, sons of God was referring to fallen angels that rebelled against God and actually took wives. And interestingly enough, and if you read your Gospels, which you should be regularly and being in the Word, when you read your Gospels, Jesus actually gave us a lot of, you know, alluded a lot. And we see how he dealt with them and he see and we see where they wanted to go when he cast the, the demons out of the demoniac and they went into the swine. It's interesting and it always has been. And as I've studied this, my eyes have been kind of like, okay, the, I'm starting to see this come together theologically and, and, and doctrinally. And I've always wondered why demons want to possess flesh so much. Even the demons in the demoniac, they said, don't just cast us. They don't just cast us out. Send us into something that we can have a mode of operation. We're going to talk about these things these next couple of weeks. You guys ready for it next week? All right. All right. Let's pray. You guys stand. Let me bless you. And uh, Jesus, and we're going to talk about this next week, Jesus actually gave us insight into their origins. So we'll talk about that. Heavenly Father, we know this is a deep subject, and we know we're just delving into it. And we want to just focus our attention right now on you. Because, Lord, you're the Lord God of everything. You are the one who all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto you, Lord Jesus. And, Father, you have given that authority to your people, the church, your bride, your people. So, Lord, we just take this last couple minutes and just refocus our hearts and our lives upon the fact that we, we are the children of God, the sons and daughters. We are loved by you. We are accepted by you. And how amazing that is, God. Thank you for that, Father. Father, for these even next couple weeks, God, as we focus on this subject, we pray you would lead and guide us into all truth, that you would help us have a firm foundation of every area of your word that you desire for us to learn. And tonight, Lord, I bless the people of Christian Center Church. May they be blessed going in and blessed going out, Father. May they be blessed at work and blessed in their homes. Father, we pray blessings over the sanctuary men tonight, God. We pray that, God, you would continue to fill them up. You would continue to, to, Father, lead them forward. And we're so thankful that you bring
bring them here once a month just to, to be with us in our service. We ask your special blessings upon them and upon each person here. Father, keep us safe. Surround us by your angels, the good ones. The good ones, Lord. Our guardian angel, keep them close, Lord God, and cover us, Father, until we meet back together at the appointed time. Father, we love and praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Go in the name of the Lord and be blessed tonight.